Welcome everybody to today's podcast. I am Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is not about us. thank you for listening in today. I hope you are blessed by this, as I always hope you're blessed by this. Uh, Once again, this is not about us. I hope and I pray that the Holy Spirit's words come through this and you receive truth from her. Uh, If you haven't listened to my last Genesis podcast, you might not understand why I say her. So go back and check that out. But right now, Uh, I want to ask Brad to invite Yahweh God, the entirety of Yahweh God, in to be the focal point and be the one today that is truly speaking to everyone. Yahweh God, just want to thank you. There's so much that we have to learn about you, who you are, and what your creation and everything really means. I want to thank you so much for that. We get to chase, we get to study, we get to dig deeper. And that being said, I want to dig a little deeper today. So would you come in? Would you be here with us? Would you show us the right way? Please, be our honored guest. Yes, God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you so much for that. So let's jump in today. Now, today's podcast I am going to talk about the difference between Jew, Gentile, and the quote-unquote church, or Christianity, or whatever you want to call it. Now, one of the reasons I want to, I thought about doing this right now is because I've been listening to a study on eschatology lately, uh, and for those of you who don't know, you know, do you know what eschatology means, Brad? Is that kind of like a... Uh... Study of end days and yeah, stuff? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I, that's that's a word that threw me the first time I heard it. So I, for those of you who are like, whoa, what is he talking about? It's the study of end times. Don't think I'm smart. I just know that because I've been doing revelation uh, <laughs> research for my studies. So I did not know that until very recently. But I've been listening to a study on this uh, that was sent to me by my mother. And this study points out three distinctions, Jew, Gentile, and the church, and talking about them in the sense that you have to understand there is a separate, these are three separate categories, and what applies, and understanding what applies to you and what does not apply to you. And this is something like, well, this this something in particular, uh, not going to get try to get sidetracked. My brain's trying to go to other places. This is something that annoys me. Now, I'm not angry with the people for saying this because there is truth in what they're saying. But it annoys me because in the sense that what we've been talking about, if you've been following along with uh, these podcasts, you know I harp on and will continue to harp on the fact that physical examples are intended to reveal spiritual truths. And they're... Again, this is a problem that a lot of people have. They get the physical example and they end there and they think that's all there is. So I'm, I'm annoyed by that, but I'm not angry with these people because there is truth in what they're saying. There is 
a physical manifestation that is going to happen and has happened in the past and will continue to happen and repeatedly in different ways uh, that apply only to the nation of Israel, the physical nation of Israel, and reply only to the city of Jerusalem and things of that nature. However, these people are trying to teach you that there are verses in the Bible and passages that simply do not apply to you, and you should not interpret them as applying to you. This is incorrect, and this is what I want to talk to you about right now. In a physical example, it's absolutely correct, but they fail to understand that it's a physical example. Like so many other teachings I listen to, they ignore the spiritual reality behind what's going on that is actually what matters here. Guys, if you're listening to me today, I plead with you to understand the entire Bible is relevant for you, you individually listening to me right now. God wrote it for you, with you in mind, whatever your name is, it's yours personally. He is that good. He is that intimate. He is that spectacular. He is that awesome. He wrote the entire thing for you and you alone. And he did it for the person sitting next to you. That, he's that amazing. And everyone else that's ever lived on the planet. So I'm going to start I'm going to give you a definition of three categories here. And before I define these, understand these are generalities. These are stereotypes. These uh, are categories. Not everyone that's ever lived completely 100% fits into these categories. I understand that. Please don't complain that you, I, you know, the category I name... Uh, seems, you know, you would call yourself that and it doesn't seem to fit you. I get that. I understand. These are generalities. The first one is Orthodox Jew. Now, the Orthodox Jew believes the Torah is God's perfect word. In fact, they believe the entire Tanakh is the inspired word of God. Now, Brad, I'm going to ask you, because this is a, a, a new word for a lot of people, do you know what the Tanakh is? The Tanakh is... This is a difficult one for people who don't understand Hebrew culture or, or haven't learned the, the Hebraic roots of these things. Do you know what it is in general? I mean, you don't have to remember the exact Hebrew words for it. It's referencing parts of the Bible. It's the Old Testament. Just the Old Testament. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we would think of. The Tanakh stands for the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Bible, uh, and then the other two parts in English, so you, for, for those who don't speak Hebrew, it stands for the prophets and it stands for the poetry. So in the entirety, it's what we would call the Old Testament. So the Tanakh represents all of it. Uh, the Torah, everything that the prophets spoke, and the poetry, such as Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, that type of thing. So they believe, the Orthodox Jew believes that the entire Tanakh the entire Old Testament, we would say, is the inspired word of God. Now, what they believe about the Tanakh is that it points to a Messiah that will come someday and save them. But the Orthodox Jew believes Jesus is not that Messiah. Now, the New Testament Christian believes Jesus is the Messiah. 
believes the Old Testament is done away with. He will say that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace, and to various degrees, which change with each person, with each denomination, with each individual church group, but to varying degrees, he treats the Old Testament as if there are a few good ideas you can pick and choose as you please, but overall, it was just a temporary patchwork job that God was just throwing duct tape on to try to hold together until he could get Jesus into play. And now that Jesus came and died for our sins, it can be ignored. The Old Testament is done away with. We can forget about it. The New Testament is just that, brand new, new and improved. The old is cast in the garbage. We now have the new one. Uh, Forget about the old. And then there's the Messianic Jew. The Messianic Jew believes the Torah is God's perfect word, believes that the entire Tanakh points to the Messiah that did come. Yeshua. The Messianic Jew knows grace has spared us from the penalty of the law, but also knows that all of the Bible is God's perfect word, and you cannot understand the New Testament separated from the Old. Now, I want you to notice something specific about these descriptions, and that I never once mentioned them in terms of race or lineage, but rather in terms of ideals and beliefs. That's going to play an important factor as we go on here. Now, um, I believe, Brad, you know this and appreciate as much as I do, but it has come to our attention that Old Testament and New Testament can accurately be interpreted as original covenant and renewed covenant. Uh, Am I wrong? Did you not? I think you knew about that. I'm aware of that. Yep. Okay. I really appreciate these descriptions because, again, like I said, we have a tendency to think Old Testament, like it, it's old, it's decrepit, it's defunct, it's done away with. We think of uh, product X comes out and it's amazing and we're going to try it. And then several months, years later, whatever, we have product X new and improved. We've made it better and product X, the original, goes away because it's no longer good anymore. Product X new and improved hits the shelves and that's what replaces it because it's better. The old one has flaws and we get rid of it. And the new or new Testament, that's what we have now. And this is not so. God gave us a covenant, an original covenant in the Old Testament. The entire thing is a covenant. There's, there's a covenant he made with Adam. There's a covenant he made with Noah. There's a covenant he made with Abraham. There's a covenant he made with Moses. There's a covenant he made with David. There's a covenant. There's covenant after covenant after covenant after covenant. And we're going to get into this in more detail as we go through Genesis in that study. But the entire thing is actually one covenant. They're not separate covenants. It is one covenant to mankind. What we need to understand, once again, physical example of spiritual truth in God's creation, we can see God. He reveals himself. And just like man grows from an infant to a child, to a teen, to a young adult, and to a man, and to an elderly man, we see the race of mankind doing the same thing. And God's covenant changes and alters as we go on, not because it has changed. We are mature enough to handle a different piece of it. We're, we're mature enough to handle something else when, when with Adam, it was an infant's covenant. I will protect you. I will be your everything. 
And as we go on through Noah and through Abraham and Moses, it gets a little more. We get into the marriage covenant with Moses at, at the base of Mount Sinai. Uh, because we have achieved marrying age but at that point. And there's so much more. It's such a cool story, and it is so cool to see the evolution of the covenant as it goes along. But we need to understand, what I want to focus on now is the whole thing is in a covenant with man. I love you. I want to be with you. I want to join with you. And when Jesus came, he didn't scrap that. He renewed it. He made it with his blood sacrifice, with his resurrection, he made the original covenant as it stood in the first place. He brought it back to the very place we had it with Adam. We have union. We can have individual union with God once again. So now, let me go on. 1 Corinthians 10.32, King James Version. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Three categories. This is exactly what I'm talking about before. I have heard people use this verse and others like it to show that there is a division that God has declared. They use this line of thinking to separate certain passages of Scripture by telling you certain passages apply only to Jews, meaning the physical nation of Israel. They do not apply to you, the church, the Christian believer. Again, they fail to understand the concept of physical examples explaining spiritual truths. Yes, yes, there are passages that, in the physical world, apply only to the nation of Israel. There are things that are going to happen to Israel in the end times that will not happen to the rest of the world. There are things that are going to happen in the city of Jerusalem, specifically prophesied, that will happen in that physical location. But they are all examples of spiritual truths you individually can accept and and rejoice in that God intends for you to understand and grasp. And that's what we're going to get into. You need to understand its significance for you personally. Now, something we need to understand in this verse is that this passage, this very passage is referring to a mindset, a philosophical set of differences, and not races of people. Now, I'm going to get into I'm going to expound a little bit on that further. 1 Corinthians 1:22 through 24. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now, something I want to do real quick here, I want to go back and reread both of those in the Hebraic Roots Version. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Be without offense to Jews and to Aramaeans and to the assembly of Eloah. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. Because the Jews ask for signs and the Aramaeans seek wisdom. But we proclaim the Messiah crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and to the Aramaeans foolishness. But to those who are called Jews and Aramaeans, the Messiah is the power of Eloah and the wisdom of Eloah. 
And why did I point out both of these verses? To show you that in Hebrew, the same word Aramaean is used. And that is translated into the King James Version as Gentile in one spot and Greek in another. This isn't referring to uh, a birthright. It's not referring to a national heritage. It's referring to, it's a stereotype of the way each set of people think. It's referring to a way of thinking. The Jews require a sign. It's a religious people saying, we want God to show us uh, what's going on. Now, the Jews, in this case, the ones, uh, the people, in this case, the mindset of the people who attacked and rejected Jesus, the Orthodox Jews that we mentioned earlier. It's a stumbling block to them. Why? Because they're looking for a sign. They were given a sign, and it pointed to Jesus, and they hated that. Because this is, again, I've said it before, I am opposed to religion as defined by man defining God the way he wants to define God. It became a stumbling block to those religious people because everything pointed to Jesus and they hated that. They didn't want it to point to Jesus, so they, they got upset and they turned away. But it's a stumbling block because all of their signs did point to Jesus. They just didn't want them to. The Greeks or the Gentiles, this is a way of thinking. These are the, the, the atheistic people. These are the people who say man is supreme. These are the people who say, my wisdom, what I can comprehend is supreme. And God said, my ways are so far beyond your ways, it's laughable. I realize I'm paraphrasing there, but um, wouldn't you agree? Yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you were, uh, I was laughing when you said that because it just, it's, it's so true. I, I, I pity atheists. I pity anyone that looks at this creation and doesn't see God. I'm sorry. I just I got <laughs> off track there. But I was just, no, that's okay. I was just laughing because I, I do. I, I I pity them. How do you how do you look at at a do you, do you look at a painting and say there was no painter? Do you look at a building and say there was no builder? I mean, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It's 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 right here. Everything's shouting out evidence of God right to them, and they have that human arrogance that they think their wisdom is superior. And that's exactly what this is getting to. To the Greeks, to the Gentile, to the atheist, God is foolishness because it sounds ridiculous to their way of thinking. What he's talking about is a way of thinking. But he says to the Jew and to the Aramean who are called, who do believe, who do get it, who do understand, the Messiah becomes the power and the wisdom of Eloah. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, 20, King James Version. And I use the, I will point out, I always, I try to use the Hebraic Roots Version where I can. In this one and another verse later, I use the King James Version because in the Hebrew, they point out some certain words that were just so confusing, I would have had to have stopped and interpreted and translated, and I thought that would become a distraction. So I'm sticking with the King James Version for a few of these. But he says, and unto the Jews... This is Paul talking. Unto the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. Paul was a Jew. 
So this, this verse, I became as a Jew, it obviously means more than birth. It means more than a nationality. It means more than a birthright because he is a Jew by birth. By his nationality, he was a Jew. So how could it mean I became as a Jew if this is referring to a birthright? No, it's referring to a mindset, a way of thinking. Now, I want to get into something really quick here, some definitions, some terms. Jew, for one. Jew is a nickname for Judeans, which is one of the tribes of, uh, of Israel became a nickname for the tribe of Judah. Um, and after a time, this was a nickname given to them by other nations, and after a time, it grew and became a term for all Israelites as well. So this term Jew is really nothing more than just a nickname given that represents all the people of Israel. It represents all of the Hebrew nation. So if you think of it that way, Jew, whenever it says Jew, it just means Hebrews. It just means the Israelites. Now let's go back and let's talk about where did they come from. Brad, who was the first Jew? First Jew, the first Hebrew. <laughs> Hebrew. I'm putting you on the spot, aren't I? Well, yeah, but so, so Hebrew means one who crosses over. I would want to say Abraham. Very good. That's where I'm getting that because the first Jew, nobody can tell. Because, again, Jew is a nickname created for the tribe of Judah and then became for the nation of Israel. But the first time they started using the term Jew, the nations of Israel were all set up. They were in their promised land. They were going through trials and garbage, and, and they were in the midst of the Old Testament stories when this name got coined. So all of you know, Abraham was not a Jew, he is a Jew in the sense that you realize this term refers to the Israelite people. But Abram, before his name was Abraham, Abram was a Gentile. Because when Abram is born, there is no such thing as the Israelites. There's no such thing as God's chosen people. Since Adam's fall and Cain's murder, humanity has had its share of people chasing God and trying, striving to please him, such as Job. Let's look at the book of Job. Job is considered by most scholars to be the first book ever written chronologically. Now, Genesis tells the story of the beginning of creation, which predates the story of Job, but Job was actually written first. Job is a Gentile. He's not of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel isn't created yet. It was written first, which means it was written before Moses wrote the, the first five books of the Bible. And Moses didn't even enter the promised land. So it can't have been created before Israel was a nation. Or I mean, it has to have been created. Sorry, sorry, I mixed that up. It has to have been created before Israel's even a nation. He's not an Israelite. He's just a regular guy like everyone else on the planet. He chooses to chase Yahweh God. God himself says in Job 1.8 and again in Job 2.3, that Job is the most righteous man on the planet, and there is none else like him. All of this predates the entrance of people of Israel into the promised land. So we see people were chasing and pleasing God before we had the Ten Commandments, before we had the nation of Israel. There were Gentiles on the planet, which we all were, some of which were chasing God. But 
There's also a growing number of people chasing after false gods and selfish pleasures. Sin continues to take deeper and deeper root in the planet, and God calls Abram out of that. When Abram obeys and leaves and crosses the Euphrates, this is a physical example of spiritual truth. As Brad said, he's the first Hebrew. He crossed over from the land of his father into God's land. Once he committed that act of obedience, crossed over and said, I will follow you, God. He became the first Hebrew. Now, were there other people who crossed over and said, I'm going to follow you, God? Yeah, there were people, just like Job, chasing God. This is a physical example to the rest of us. What, he, what Abram did led to the birth of a nation and is, a, is an example for all of us. And we're going to get into that more deeply here. As Brad said, the Hebrew title, the, the, the Hebrew, the, the, the Hebraic word Hebrew is Strong's Concordance number 5680, Ibri. But this is a title that comes from a string of words that connect back to number 5674, Abar, which means to cross over. Abraham is known as the father of the Jews because he's the first Hebrew. He's the first to cross over. This is a picture the way water baptism is a picture. He crossed the water. He crossed from one, He crossed from death to life by passing through the water of the word, metaphorically. He accepted God's plan of salvation for him just the way, in a physical sense, he was the example of the way we need to spiritually pass through the water, be baptized from death to life. The water of the word. We need to be baptized into Jesus honoring his physical example. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Hebraic Roots version again. For all of us also are baptized by one spirit into one body. I'm going to emphasize that. For all of us also are baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Aramean, whether slave or son of freedom, and all of us drank of one spirit. This is testifying to the fact we've all been made one. Your race, your position, your gender, your appearance, your geographic location, none of that matters where it comes where it concerns your place in him. Galatians 3:27 through 29. Back to the King James version. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are you understanding that? Are you understanding that? If you are the Messiah's, if you are Jesus's, then you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. 
You are a Hebrew. You crossed over. You're a Jew. You are the spiritual truth that God was representing in the physical example of the Hebrew people. Something else I want to point out here that's really cool. You are Abraham's seed. Something I left out intentionally until now. The word Hebrew, number 5674, which means to cross over. It also means to cover in copulation. (laughs) I know, I laughed too, but here we are being told. God said the nations of the earth, plural, all nations of the earth would be blessed by Abraham. And now we're being called Abraham's seed. I think that's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. You won't get this in church. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to talk about Abraham's sperm in today's sermon. Yeah, that's that's not, yeah, not something you're going to get in church probably. But but it is, I mean, that right there, as, as, I don't know, what's the word, lowbrow, as we tend to think of that, it's an accurate physical picture. It, it's, we're supposed to understand it that way. We're supposed to get what's happening here in the physical and see it for the spiritual truth that it is. So now, I'm going to wrap this up by saying I started this podcast by pointing out three distinctions. Orthodox Jew, New Testament Christian, and Messianic Jew. If you today are in the position of Orthodox Jew, you acknowledge the Torah and the entire Tanakh as the true inspired word of God. That's a very good thing. But if you honestly do place yourself in that category for that reason, because you do acknowledge the entire Tanakh as the inspired word of God, then you need to accept it for what it says and where it leads. And that is that Yeshua is the Messiah and that Yahweh Almighty sent to earth Yeshua to redeem us from our sins and repair the broken covenant that Adam lost. If you today are in the position of New Testament Christian, You acknowledge that Jesus is the true begotten Son of God who came and died for our sins and rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. That's a very good thing. But if you honestly do place yourself in that category for that reason, because you do acknowledge Jesus, Yeshua, as God's risen Son, then you need to accept what he said, that he did not come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. You need to accept the entire Old Testament or, as it should be understood, the original covenant as God's perfect word that all testifies to the Savior you hold dear. You need to understand it as the physical example of God's spiritual truths or, like Peter said, of Paul's writings, you will not be able to understand accurately any of the New Testament or, as it should be understood, the renewed covenant. And if you today are in the position of Messianic Jew, you acknowledge then that the entire word of God is Yeshua himself, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the original covenant and the renewed covenant, all testify of him and all are useful for instruction and edification and you are seeking from the written word to
to better know and understand the living word. That is a very good thing. But if you honestly do place yourself in that category, then I challenge you, are you living it? If you say you believe it, are you chasing it? Are you chasing him? Because what God does in the physical realm is an example of a spiritual reality, I implore you all, we need to pray for Israel. All of God's promises are yes and amen. If God can back away from his promises to Abraham and Abraham's seed in the physical, then that is a physical example that he can back away from his promises to us, all of us who are spiritually Abraham's seed. If you say that you are a Jew and you stand opposed to Jesus, then you stand against yourself because Jesus is the Messiah you are longing for. If you say that you are a Christian and you stand against Israel, then you stand against yourself because Israel, Jew, Hebrew, they're all you and every promise made to the Jew is a promise made to you. God said he is laying before us blessings and cursings. I implore you, all of you who claim you are God's, please choose blessings. This has been Scott. And this has been Brad. And this has been Not About Us. (laughs) 